Thank you, Jen. It, it really is a pleasure for me to be with you uh, on a number of different levels. Uh, one is that there are old friends here, there are newer friends. Uh, for all of you, I have respected this particular body for, for quite a while, and it's, so those are some of the reasons. Other reasons, this is my second worship. Uh, so who could, who could beat that? It's a pleasure to have worshiped here twice. It's a pleasure to actually meet Pastor Jin face to face. We've corresponded a bit, but to be able to meet him face to face is a great pleasure. And to think about anger. Is there anything more important for us? Is there anything more highlighted in Proverbs than the problem of anger? Uh, so for these and certainly other reasons, it is is good to, to be with you. What I'd like to do is I would like to begin with just a brief overview, what seems to be the heart of how Proverbs speaks about anger, and then get into a few specifics. What is it, where is it, and how does Jesus himself speak to our anger? So let me begin by, by orienting us to the book of Proverbs. Again, very briefly, but I think it's important. Proverbs begins with the fear of the Lord which means this is about who God is, and it's about knowing him and responding to him. Here is who our God is, and every Old Testament saint would be able to recite this, most of us would as well. God in, in Exodus chapter 34 said this, the Lord, the promised one, the, the one who makes promises and keeps them, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate, and gracious God, uh, <laughs> slow to anger. This is, this is primary in his self-description, the compassionate, gracious God, and to a people who deserve his wrath. Exodus 34 is in a horrifying passage of betrayal and idolatry, and here is the one who says that he is slow to anger, and abounding in love. He's, what he's saying is that his anger is always circumscribed, it's always put in tight boundaries. He always has limitations on his anger, but he has no limitations at all on his love. He's this unbalanced God. It does raise questions, Why? how can he be unbalanced like that? And that will come a little bit later. This is who our God is. Anger is something very important to him. It's, it's something critical in us. He's slow to anger, and he's abounding in, in love. Now, slow to anger, there, there's a way we should not be thinking about this. This has happened at my dinner table when my daughters were younger. Would you stop that right now? That is not necessarily slow to anger. <laughs> the anger is already present. Just the fact that I'm not screaming and yelling, just, just because I'm doing it through my teeth, doesn't make it slow to anger. In the context of Exodus chapter 34, slow to anger means this. For example, he speaks to Moses, the Lord speaks to Moses, and, and he says, because you are such a rebellious people, an angel will go with you. I myself will not. And because God is angry. And Moses appeals to the Lord, and he essentially says, no can do. 
because we are known by your very presence. We will go nowhere unless you go with us. And the Lord says, all right, that sounds good. Slow to anger, when the Lord identifies that in himself, it, it means let's talk about this together. Let's talk about this. In other words, when God speaks of his anger, it is, very, is categorically different than the anger we're familiar with because we're not interested in talking about our anger. We have already decided what is right and true, and we will carry out a verdict. There's nothing to, to speak of. Proverbs is founded. Its words on anger are founded in the gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love. And then it goes on and identifies how the wise person is indeed the patient person. But the patient person is one who is slow to anger. Let's talk about this together. The foolish person is one who gives full vent to his or her anger. And everybody sees it but the fool him or herself. Anger is, already, is also identified in the book of Proverbs as the way of death. It has the fingerprints of death all over it, and we know that the nature of anger is it speaks death. It speaks damnation to another person. There's something murderous in our anger. And if you have been victimized by anger and you have been victimized, you know that it has death written all over it. To be more specific, to sneak into the New Testament, New Testament, it talks about the one who stands behind death, the devil himself. One of the reasons anger is such a high-profile issue for us to be alert to is because the devil is identified as the angry one and the author of our anger. The author, our, our anger comes from our own heart, but somehow we are, we are in cahoots with Satan himself in our own anger. He is John 8. He is the the liar and the murderer. That is his very nature. Those who do murderous things, they are in some sort of temporary partnership with Satan. In Ephesians chapter 4, when it talks about putting off all things, it talks about putting off anger. That's when the, putting off lies and anger. You put off anger because this is in sympathy with the devil. And, and as a result, when we, our anger is allowed to persist, it will fracture our relationships, will fracture our family, will fracture our community. You will find in the New Testament, when Paul talks about anger, he will talk about the devil, the, the one who stands behind death. This is sort of the heart of how Proverbs speaks about our anger. Now, from that beginning point, let's, let's do a couple specifics. The first is, and please think about this with me, because all of you could stand up right now and speak about anger. You could speak about your own anger. You could speak about what Scripture says. So begin with this. What is it? What are we looking for? How would you describe it? There's no one particular definition of anger in Scripture, but how, how would you, if you were going to define it to one another, how might you do that? Let's start with that. Then we will look for it. We'll try to identify it in us first, and then we'll speak what does Jesus say, and who is he as one who is familiar with anger? Anger, what is it? It, it at least is a judgment. 
It's, it's, it's an emotion, certainly, but underneath that passion is we are saying something is wrong. Something is wrong. Now, sometimes it's actually wrong. Sometimes it just simply got in the way of our own desires. Sometimes it's actually wrong. Anger says something is wrong. There are, there are ways you could have been victimized by another person that truly was wrong. There are ways that my grandson could, be, could only have a half hour to do Fortnite, and somehow that seems utterly wrong to him. There are different kinds of versions of wrong, but anger usually begins with some sort of declaration that there is a wrong being done out there, and it's been against me in some way. Now here's where anger tends to go off the tracks. Here's where we, where we are not slow to anger, we don't follow the anger of Jesus Christ. Anger forgets to listen to God. It chooses to not live under the words of God. Instead of, instead of considering the question, what does abounding love look like right now, Lord? Help me, I beg of you. It, it determines that we ourselves are the judge and jury of anger. We are the ones who are high and exalted. We are the ones who determine what is right and wrong. Anger typically forgets God. And I suspect when you think about your own anger and it's gotten out of control, God is not part of your anger at that particular time. And then from there, it's the typical dimensions of anger. It's saying, you are wrong, I am right, and I am authorized to judge you in any way that I see fit. If, if we're onto something that is truly universal to the human soul, you will find it in children. And you don't have to teach your children how to be angry. A classic illustration in, 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 a, in, a, in a home where there's more than one child is this. There's a ruckus going on in some room somewhere. You go up to the room, and as soon as you open the door, as soon as you open the door, it wasn't me, it wasn't me. It was him, it was her. It was, it, it's, you, you see, one person is declaring his or her innocence. The, other, the person is also pointing. Actually, the scripture talks about that occasionally. Those who point at others. The other person is pointing, and they're saying, he or she is the one who is guilty. They're the ones who are supposed to be punished. Now, we're all familiar with that. That's, that's sort of anger in the raw. But, but notice what this is. I am the one who's innocent. This is anger that is run amok. This is typical, destructive human anger. I am right. This person is wrong. But in that pointing, there is a judgment, there is a damnation that's being wished on another person. There is, let them be damned, let them be punished rather than me. Do you see the aggressive, murderous nature of, of our anger? Those are some of the ingredients of anger as we try to describe it and, and define it together. It is over rather than under. We are the ones who are the adjudicators of right and wrong, and rather than consider what does love look like, we determine what, what, what the verdict should be against others. 
This might be helpful. Uh, as we define what anger is, sinful anger, it might be helpful for us to also consider what is the opposite of anger? What's the opposite? We like to know what we're turning from. We like to know what we're turning toward. In Exodus 34, the Lord, the Lord, the gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love. Love is an opposite of, of anger, abounding love. Lord, what does it mean to show love in this situation? What does wise look, love look like now? Anger does not listen to any other voice but itself. The opposite of anger is what is it that my God says? What is it that my God says? Now that I am proclaiming something is wrong, what is it that my God says? That would be an opposite of anger. Or when in doubt, we could also always go to the Micah 6-8 passage. Here's the opposite of anger, to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. To walk with him and under him, rather than walk away from him and try to exalt ourselves over him. That gives us some sense of what it is. Now, the, the, next, the next thing we need to dive into is, is okay, let's find it. Let's, let's see anger. Uh, one, of the, one of the benefits of not driving with my wife to Chelton this morning is I was anger-free today. Uh, and and I, I so often find whenever I'm going to speak about something, I have that problem the hour before. I didn't have the problem the hour before. Now, if, if yesterday was today, I would be in trouble. I had all kinds of illustrations that I could give you, but not illustrations today. Let's first, if you cannot immediately identify your own anger uh, in the last 24, 48 hours, let's search for it a bit. This is, the, this is the very way of God. It's not that we're denying the wrong that might be out there, but we first consider our own hearts in the midst of this. And here is the problem. So proceed very, very carefully. There's a way that seems right to a person and leads to death. We know that particular passage. It was just read. What that is saying is that you can be blind as you walk on this path of death. You can, you can merely think that you are on a path that is good and righteous. Be completely unaware. Anger seems to be almost unique in this regard. There are other problems that we can have. We can have grief, we can have, we, can have, we can have fears, and when you have those experiences, you know them, you can identify it. But the nature of anger is that we are blind to our own anger. What we see is not our problem. We see that we are right. The more angry you are, the more persuaded you are that you are right and the other person is wrong. Anger sees its rightness rather than its foolishness. So as a result, we proceed very, very carefully. Recognize we can see the anger of other people uh, other people can see anger within us, but we are blind to it personally. I, I hate to have conflicts at any time with my wife. I hate them especially on vacation. Uh, it seems like vacations are, they, they, they should be set apart as being especially nice, copacetic, peaceful times. It doesn't always work that way. Um, so 
my wife and I were on vacation. We were, we were in our room, and she said something to me. And I, I said, I, she said those things before, and I haven't had time to really address them. Now might be a good time to address them. See, I, I, I thought I was, you see, I was blind already. You can see that this was not going to go well. If it's for, from my perspective, it was all, it was all quite right. So, I, I, so, I, so I'm going to identify her wrongness in this as a way to serve her. <laughs> see, if, you would have, if I would have been in that situation and you would have overheard what my mind was doing and you started laughing, I would say, what are you laughing about? It's just, I'm caring for my wife. The blindness has already overtaken me at this point. And so I spoke, I said, Sheriff, this is what you're doing, and this is what you've done this before, and it's wrong. I don't think I said it that much different. I'm not a yeller and a screamer. It did not go well. Things got chilly immediately. And I said, well, it's just her problem. She's going to have to deal with it. And it didn't go well that particular day. Went to bed. And it, it, all of a sudden, the bed seemed very small. <laughs> like you were very close, closer than I expected. And then we're walking to the beach the next early afternoon. And um, it's chilly. Typically, I hold my wife's hand. I wasn't. Feeling right about the whole thing. And then the Lord, through his spirit, so graciously descended on my hard, blind heart. And it, was, it came simply as a question. But have you loved her? But have you loved her? It, 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 was, it was an undoing. My soul in a moment was undone. Because in my rightness, the question of abounding love, it was, it was, it was irrelevant to me. It was utterly irrelevant. The Spirit came, did you, have you, are you loving? In a moment, it was just such a gracious, ripping apart of my soul, opening my eyes, and I was able to ask forgiveness of my wife for not having loved her for that, for that, for that entire 24-hour period. And I tell you that story in part because it, I don't know how your sanctification happens, but sometimes mine goes in little spurts. It seems to go very be slow and jagged, and every once in a while, the Spirit gives me an event like that that wakes me up. Here's the problem with anger. We can see it in other people. We, we are blind to it. We are right. What does love have to do with that? So that's why, that's why it is important for us to settle into proceed carefully. Where do you find it in your own heart? I, I, I suspect that, that all of us can find ourselves a bit on a continuum of hot anger and cold anger. Any hot anger people here? I'm sure there's some. You don't have to raise your hand. Uh, uh, my, wife, I, she, my wife leans to this end of the spectrum. There's a benefit to it. When my wife is angry, I always know it. Uh, it's always clear. And it's relatively loud. It's louder than I tend to be. Um, uh, uh, it's, the veins don't pop out on her neck when she's angry, but, but she sort of moves in that dimension. Uh, if, you, if you have that kind of hot anger, perhaps the advantage of this, well, there's no advantage to other people, but the advantage to you is you might be able to see it just a bit more clearly. Uh, and, and, and anger is, is destructive and murderous so often, but to see anger is a really good thing. If you can see your anger, this is a great starting point because the Spirit of God is already on the move. 
Most of us, I suspect, however, are a bit more like myself, where my anger, I'm not a yeller and a screamer. My children, my children have maybe heard me yell one time in their entire childhood. My grandchildren have heard me yell one time. I know they have. Um, uh, but but that's, that's not a bad record, is it, after, after this many decades? I don't tend to be a yeller and a screamer. I tend to be much worse than a yeller and a screamer. I tend to go quiet or, or, or picture it this way. We have a God who comes toward us. His face is turned toward us. This is who he is, and he pursues us. He does not turn away. We turn away from him, but he doesn't turn away from us as his people. And in response to that, when my wife doesn't please me in a certain way, I turn my back. I turn my back and just sort of walk the other direction. Honey, what's wrong? Nothing's, nothing's wrong, nothing's wrong at all. In other, words, in other words, I'm going to sanctify you by having you guess yourself what egregious sin you have just committed against me, which it's, it's rarely egregious, and it's the kind of thing I can't even remember what it was after it happened often. We, I think, are probably more often colder in our anger, where it's... In the cold anger, it can slip by your conscience because, because we always, we're always thinking that anger is the more aggressive variety, or at least the louder variety. If you are in the cold anger, if you are in that sector, again, most of you are, then proceed very, very carefully, very carefully, because chances are blindness is settled in at different times in your own life. This is, we're saying things that everybody in the world knows something about. Uh, Even the blindness of anger. But now, now let's go a little bit further. Now let's plunge into a place where the world knows nothing. Now we turn to the person of Jesus. But we're we're gonna allow anger to sort of be the lens by which we we see who he is and what he's done, what he said. And here's what we find. Jesus got angry. There you go. Jesus gets angry, you get angry. There's a little loophole for you and gives you authorization for your anger. And then you begin to look at the way he was angry. You can probably think of four or five illustrations right right away. Uh, the, The children were kept from him. Uh, They were kept from coming from him and he rebukes his disciples. Gentiles, when they came to the Jerusalem temple to worship, they, they, were, they were sequestered where the money changers were. How can, you, how can you worship when there's all this heckling going on and all these animal noises going on? Jesus was angry when the money changers were in the, the court of the Gentiles because, because the Gentiles couldn't worship. He's angry when Pharisees lay burdens on the people that keep them from knowing who their God is and keep them from the joy of the Lord. There were times indeed when Jesus was angry. But here's what you find. Our anger is almost inevitably personal. Something has been done against us. Usually in our anger there is this grand I want and somebody has interfered between me and the object of my affection. 
Jesus never, never was angry when it was personal. The illustrations of anger are always on behalf of those who are oppressed, or those who are kept from the truth. Those were the joy of Christ. They were, that was the time he was angry. When he was reviled, when he was spit on, when he was abused, he never responded in the kind of over-anger that is so typical of ourselves. The question, the background question essentially was, and how do I wisely love now? How do I wisely love now? This is who you see when you, when you enter into knowing Christ by way of anger. He was angry, but it's completely different than the anger, the anger we are familiar with. Slow to anger, abounding in love in the flesh. That's, that's what you see with Jesus. And... And then watch further. Anger is a statement of independence. I want no one higher than myself. It is a betrayal. It is adultery. It is against God himself. That is the nature of our anger. Not only is it betrayal of God, it is destructive against his people. And here's here's what Here's what Jesus, your God, here's how he responds in the midst of that. In James chapter 4, I'm not, we're not going to talk about James 4, but James chapter 4 in 10 verses, it gives you everything you want to know about anger. In the very middle of James chapter 4, sort of the punchline, the Hebrew punchline of a passage is in the middle. The middle is this. The, the spirit who's at work in us, he, he, he's aroused to jealousy. In envy. In other words, your God has seen you sort of wandering off in, 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 in sympathy with the devil himself, and he is jealous because you belong to him. And he, he wants no one else to possess you. Ever have somebody jealous over you? It's a pretty strong emotion. It means somebody wants you and they don't want to share you with anybody else. Your God is jealous for when in the midst of your anger, this is how he responds. Who would have thought? And then we, let me splice some other scripture in here. And then he, as you might, we might expect at this point, he says, let's talk. Let's talk. Isaiah chapter 1. You are sick from head to toe. That's the way Isaiah begins. Uh, there is no soundness in your entire being. And by the end of the chapter, come, let's reason together. Let's talk together. Though your hands, though your hands are the hands of a murderer, they, they have blood, they're, 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 they're bloods, they're red hands because they're, they're the hands of a murder. Come, let's talk about this, and you can be cleansed as white as snow. This is, this is who our God is in the, in the midst of our own anger. He pursues us. He says, I want you for myself. Let's talk about this together. And this is the gospel. And the gospel goes further. Jesus Christ, however you tell this, there are all kinds of ways. So the question is, how would you tell? 
this story of God's response to angry people. See, there's, the background question is, how is it that God can seem to put limitations on his anger? No limitations on his love, but he puts limitations on his anger. He never, his full wrath does not come and land on us as murderous people. Well, the reason he has limitations on his anger is because he himself comes in the flesh. And as he comes in the flesh, he comes awfully close to us. And in that closeness, his commitment is to take the, the, what are, what are the, the things that are ours, the wrath of God that, that should fall indeed on murderous people, he takes it on himself. And, in, 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 and, and, and to make that trade, he gives us his own righteousness. The wrath of God on murderous people falls on Jesus. This is why there are limitations on the anger of God. No limitations on his love, but limitations on his anger because the plan was it would always fall on himself. He himself would take the penalty of, of the murderous ways of, of us as his people. And why? Because he's jealous for you. 1 Peter 2.18, Christ died for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. And here's the purpose, to bring us to God. <laughs> Anger goes away from God. Anger runs away. We, we try to build our own little kingdom with our rules where nothing is above us. He pursues us because his commitment from the beginning of time has been to have us close to himself, and he will do it. This is what the gospel has done. Angry people who have been distanced, he pursues us and brings us close to himself. And the story's still not over. And he gives us more grace. This is what it says in John, James chapter 4. Now, according to James, here is one of the ways that you can receive more grace. Having had, had your eyes open to... To your, to your own murderous ways. Here's, here's the nature of who you are. You have been murdered by other people. You have been victims of anger, and, it, and you can still remember the words that were said. You've also returned the favor. You have been murderous to others. In the midst of that, he forgives, he brings you close to himself, and he gives you more grace. And the grace is, use words from James, grieve. Mourn, wail, be undone by these murderous instincts in our heart, these destructive, death-like, Satan-like instincts that can still continue in our heart. Grieve and mourn and wail. Be under, humble yourself before the Lord. Resist the devil and, and he will flee. Express your humility in confessing your own sin before God. Confessing, if, if it was a public sin, confessing it before others. Reconciling with those in the body of Christ. Recon, recon, reconciling with those in your neighborhood. Going back to the teller you just yelled at. And the next day asking, can you see that particular teller? This is some of the grace that is poured out on us. Anger 
Anger is deadly. You've experienced it, you've given it. It is utterly murderous. It is, it, it's, it's, it's ugly inside and out. But here's, but here's God's inimitable style. As he wakes us up to see our own anger, as, as we look to Jesus, as we hear this gospel of Christ, this pursuing love of Christ proclaimed to us, as, as, as he pours out this particular grace, he, we begin to change. Other people see a, a one-time angry person who responds a little bit differently. And, and perhaps you have been somebody who's witnessed that. When you witness it, it is unmistakably beautiful. If other people have witnessed in you, perhaps there's no more powerful way to demonstrate the power and the love of Christ. I used to work in the youth group in our church. And during that particular era, great youth group, there was one guy who would come, his father was an elder, uh, and he was not a Christian. He, he, he clearly was not a Christian. Everybody knew he was not a Christian. Uh, and I'm sure it was uh, a bit of a shame to his father. But he's a great guy. He always asked the best questions in the youth group. He asked the questions that other people were hoping to ask, but they thought you weren't supposed to ask those questions. Um, he, he was always kind, but never followed Jesus. He went off to college and and um, there was a church, church plant. His parents went, went on a church plant, and I sort of lost touch with him for a while. Ten years later, he shows up at our church. Yeah. He, he was there by himself. His parents were going to a different church at this point, and there's got to be a story here, so I pursued him. He came over to our house for lunch, and what's the story? And here's the story. Um, his father was an angry man. And he is sort of the non-Christian of the family. It's sort of the token bad boy, if you will. He was the one who experienced most of his father's wrath. After around five years, after, after his time in college, his father came to him and, and confessed his anger. In tears, confessed his anger. And asked forgiveness of his son. And... And not only that, he changed. He, 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 was, he moved from an angry man to a man who was slow to anger. He would say, let's talk about these things together. If there indeed was a, a wrong that, that needed to be addressed. He's a man of patience, overlooking offenses. Surprising, surprising his son with grace when his, his son was expecting anger. So this, this is his story. This is what the Spirit used to open his eyes to Jesus Christ. If indeed this God does, has this kind of power to change people in this way, this is the one to follow. This is how he came to Christ. Be encouraged. It's, it, it's, you see where the story, where the story goes. It's, it gets ugly before it gets really good. We, we can be blind to our own anger, and our own anger has been murderous. We all know that. We've received it. And, and the Spirit graciously opens our eyes. And then he says, let's look at Jesus together. Let's watch him. And all of a sudden, the story begins to be one of forgiveness, one of, one of new beginnings, new, new power, new grace, 
to be able to grieve and mourn and wail. And perhaps in this particular environment, at this particular time, when anger is everywhere, for you to be able to, with your family, with your children, with your neighbors, with the salesperson, with a, in, in a restaurant where somebody forgets all about you, uh, with, a, with, with places that are understaffed and everybody else is irritated with them, for you to ask the question, what does love look like now? All of a sudden, the glory of Christ is, is more blatant in you than you could possibly imagine. This is, this is sort of the extended version of what Proverbs says to our own souls. May we have ears to truly listen. Let me pray. Uh, Father, as, as, as I consider these things from my own heart, I, I recognize my anger is not blatant. It can hide to myself. Would you continue, as you did on the, on the walk to the beach with my wife, would you continue to be the God who reveals and allows me to see. And then may we together, may we be astounded at, at, at the response of Jesus to our own anger. May we be undone, may our hearts be melted, and may our families see us grow. May our church see us grow, our communities see us grow. May you bring glory to yourself as we consider this matter, this universal matter of the human heart in our hearts. In the name of Christ, amen.